Let me pray. Almighty God, uh, help us now as we consider your word through your Apostle John, the words of Jesus. Help us to understand how they apply to us and the work of your spirit better, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus often used illustrations. That's what good teachers and speakers do. Illustrations help to reinforce points you're making. So we're at the Last Supper, a bit like communion, and this is actually an illustration. It reinforces the teaching of Jesus and what it mean, the gospel means. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. That's kind of an illustration. He says, you've got to love one another like I'm loving you. This is the example you need to follow. Then Judas leaves to betray Jesus, and actually Jesus' arrest and trial and crucifixion is now imminent. These are dark hours. So Jesus uses this time, if you like, for one final bit of teaching for his disciples, critical things. He says, listen, I'm going away. I'm leaving. But I will send you the advocate, the comforter, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit who will come. And you must obey my commands as the Father's commands. You must love one another. This is fundamental about what it means to be my followers. And he does all that teaching and then he well, gives them an illustration. John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. In verse 5, I am the vine, you disciples are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We're on the series you and me and Jesus, really looking at this whole metaphor, this illustration of the vine, as we're all together. In that, my first talk from John chapter 15, I said, there is life in the vine and only in the vine, and Jesus is that vine. You need to remain in him, obey him to be fruitful. In the second talk, I said that actually the vine is a love vine. It's marked and characteristic by, by love as the father loves the son, so the son loves the branches and vice versa, and it flows around, and there's a unity of love amongst the vine as the branches are part of the vine. In the third talk, I said, well, that vine, that love vine is actually found in the world, which in John's gospel is those in rebellion or hostility to God. And so... Actually, the world, as the Sumter has been reminding us, is hostile to the vine because they're hostile to Jesus, because they're hostile to the Father. And so the world will hate you and you will suffer in the world if you're part of the vine. In fact, we looked at the passages, uh, the, the end of that passage last week, which is the start of this week's passage, they'll cast you out of the synagogue. They'll even kill you in God's name. And for those disciples listening, that is what is exactly what happened. They were cast out of... I've never been cast out of a synagogue. I don't know about you. Uh, but they were cast out of the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, and they, all but one, John, our writer, was executed for believing in Jesus. So the difficulty, though, that sort of raises as Jesus gives this teaching is he's speaking face-to-face -face with these 11 men. They see him. You and I read John's gospel, his writing. 
2,000 years later. We do not see Jesus face to face. We do not hear his words. We read them. How does what Jesus say apply to us? Because we, our days are different. We weren't there in the upper room. But here's what the Bible says. They don't live in the last days. But we do live in God's last days. And to be the vine of God, well, that's got a certain characteristic in the last days that it perhaps didn't have for those disciples who were sitting in the upper room listening to Jesus speak at that time. See, we live in the last days. Did you know that on the cross, as Jesus died for the sin of the world, he defeated Satan? He conquered the evil one. And when he was raised on the third day, he brought in a new day of God's purposes. And then 50 days later, the last days begin. It's the day of the festival of Pentecost. And the disciples are gathered and they start speaking in languages and people hear them in their own language. And tongues of fire appear on them. This is a remarkable event. And people say, are these people drunk? And Peter stands up and says, with the eleven, he says, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, this event. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Peter says, in the last days, this is the last days event of the spirit being poured out. You go to Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews, many, many years later, as he penned these words, would have wrote this. He says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. We live in the last days. Let me give you a graphic, a picture to show you how this works. See the present age? This is the age we live in. From creation, from the fall, Jesus died and rose again and the Holy Spirit was poured out on those believers. And so began the new age of the kingdom. So began the new age of God's eternal age. But do you see that there's an overlap there for a time? We wait for the Lord Jesus to come back and bring the absolute consummation of the kingdom and to end this present age and to judge evil and wickedness finally and also to bring the fullness of life to his people finally in a new heavens and a new earth. But for the moment we live in the last days which is the overlap of those two epochs or eras. We live in the already we are in the kingdom and we live in the not yet in the kingdom. Already there's been judgment on Jesus, but not yet the final judgment. So how do 
we the vine, well, when Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, how does that work in the last days? Jesus is not physically here, but he promises he will be with us and he'll continue his work through his people. The vine's going to continue to do its work. The branches are going to continue being part of the love vine. But they're going to do that by the power of the Spirit of Jesus, the advocate who is with them. And there's three aspects of the Spirit's ministry in the last days that I think Jesus highlights in this passage we have this morning. First point. When Jesus returns to the Father, he hands over the work of bearing witness to himself to the Holy Spirit, the Advocate. There in verse 26, he says, when the Advocate comes, sometimes it would be translated counsellor or alongsider, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, the Spirit of God coming from the Father, he, says Jesus, will testify, he will bear witness to me. Now, the Governor-General is the Queen's representative in Australia, bearing witness, representing the Queen. It's a little bit like that, what the Spirit's going to do, but it's different because the Spirit and the Father and Jesus are one. The Governor-General is quite separate, but it will be like that, bearing witness in these last days while Jesus is exalted to the right hand of his Father. But how is the Spirit going to bear witness? Well, the next verse, Jesus says to his disciples, you also must bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. You see, the vine and the branches are inseparable. As Jesus goes and leaves his disciples, the branches are not cut off. Rather, the Spirit of Christ will come and fill them. And so in the last days, the vine and the branches will still be one in the Spirit. If we go to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one vine, he might say. And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We together, you and me and Jesus, united in his spirit, who fills us with the very presence of God, so that we the vine and the branches, the church might bear witness to Jesus today. Now, God's Spirit can work independently of us and sometimes does. But the normal practice is for the Spirit to bear witness through, his, through the body of Christ or through the branches of the vine using the Word of God. You know, these disciples who are listening to Jesus speak, they will soon be scattered in fear as Jesus is arrested. However, these scattered fearful ones, only months later, are filled with the Spirit and transformed in power. One day, they are arrested, the leading disciples, all these men. They're arrested because they keep boldly bearing witness 
to Jesus. They're brought before the religious leaders and they're told, you must stop teaching in Jesus' name. This has got to end. We're threatening you. And the response in Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. They now go into the gospel message, the word. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. And we, they say, we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You see that work of witnessing, of testifying with God's church filled with the Spirit and the Spirit testifying or bearing witness. There is the vine in the last days. That's it. And so you see there is power not in our cleverness or our charisma or our arguments, not if we use deception to trick people into following Jesus. There is power in the word of God as the spirit of God bears witness through it. And bears witness through the vine. You could hear a sumptuous testimony later. I bet she will bear witness to the word of God, the people of God, and just the spirit speaking to her heart. It wasn't John McIndoe or Serene Lau or any all those others who spoke to a sumpter in those days. They were used, but God was at work by his spirit. The disciples in Acts chapter 5 there, they're suffering persecution. They're being threatened. You know, when they suffer persecution, the character of Jesus gets a great opportunity to shine because they have to put their faith in Jesus. When a sumpter's there at the domain, she has to put her faith in the Lord Jesus, and there's power in those moments. Jesus says, all of this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. There will be suffering. And it's very hard for us in the West because we've been comfortable, as Assumptus said, for <laughs> Don't you love text messages? Julian Gonzalez, try turning your wireless on now. <laughs> hey, is it working? <laughs> am I working? I am working. Look at that. I, I can move. <laughs> oh, what was I saying? I get distracted. It's hard for us in the West because we get so comfortable. We haven't suffered. But there is power as the vine suffers, a unique power. Because as the vine suffers, it gets to stand and bear witness and bless the world as it produces the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience, even as it's being castigated. I tell you, I reckon, might have been rejected, but I reckon Assumpter and Steve had a powerful ministry in that week. 
because they stood in Jesus. They persevered in trial. And Sumter's already told her the Spirit gave her words. The Spirit testified through her. She found a peace that passed understanding. I, I've got a good friend of mine who, um, whose family is not, not Christians, and he has suffered greatly. He came to me. He was actually talking to me, and he said, John, why is God punishing me? I have changed so much. I keep doing good. I do good for my family. I do good for my extended family. And the more I do good, the more they seem to hit me. Why is God doing this to me? And I, I don't know. You can never answer those questions as to why God. But I could say this. I believe that you are bearing a powerful testimony to Jesus. Far more so than you could ever do with your words. And they will notice, and the children will notice. Because there's something powerful about righteousness and sacrifice and faithfulness. That was the power of the church. This is the power of the church in the last days, to, 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 to persevere through in righteousness and sacrifice in suffering. And it's always been so. The Roman Empire... First, the Jewish authorities crushed the Christians and the church grew. Then the Roman Empire crushed the Christians and the church grew. And in the medieval times, they tried to crush true believers and the church prospered. And in communist Russia and communist China, they try and tried to crush the church. It just doesn't work because there's power when true believers suffer. In the Middle East, I believe, the gospel is going out like it's never done before. Because so many Christians were crushed by the Islamic fundamentalist movements. And it might even happen here in the secular West increasingly. We will be strong in the spirit and let the spirit testify through us. Second thing we see in this passage is conviction. You see, this is spiritual warfare. And so the power is not with us. The power is with God by his spirit. See, as the spirit bears witness through the vine and the branches, the spirit brings conviction to the world. The disciples are sad. They, they don't understand what Jesus is talking about. He says he's going away. So Jesus says to them, Very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the spirit, will not come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And it's the spirit that's going to do this much greater work. <clears throat> you see, the spirit will not come until the new age begins, until Jesus has died and raised and gone to be with the Father. And that will be so much better because that's the victory day. And this, when the Spirit comes, says Jesus, essentially my witness will be extended. Because wherever the branches are, there is the Spirit of God. There I am I, says Jesus. Verse 8. When he comes, the Spirit, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. In some translations, he will convict the world. Or the, the word could be translated, he will expose to the world. 
a greater awareness of sin and righteousness and judgment. See, we can't do that, you and I. God's Spirit can. Verse 8, he'll convict the world about sin because people do not believe in me. Why would anyone believe in Jesus? You actually believe in Jesus? You actually believe the Bible? Uh, Jesus saves from sin, so the Bible says. Which must be somebody else's sin. Am I losing my wireless again? Which must be somebody else's sin. Because I'm, <clears throat> I'm not a sinner. And I really don't like being repressed by you telling me that I am. Because I'm not guilty and I'm okay. That is the verdict of the heart. And you are powerless to change that verdict. Only the Spirit of God can change that verdict. The beatitude of Jesus, the very first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who recognize their spiritual poverty. Without God's Spirit working, no one would call upon Jesus as Saviour and Lord because they'd have to be doing that to be saved from their sin. Gee, the Spirit convicts the world about sin because they don't believe in Jesus. He also convicts them regarding righteousness. He convicts them about righteousness because Jesus says, I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. When the righteous one, Jesus, God's righteousness revealed, when the only man who has ever lived righteously under God's authority goes, what then? To show righteousness, which is the opposite of sin. Who needs to be convicted of righteousness when you're, when you're not a sinner? Um, I think the greatest expression of our sinful nature is our inherent tendency amongst all of us, and we must include ourselves, towards self-righteousness, which is the grossest pride. I've spoken to people in the gutter, and I've spoken to people in the boardroom, literally, and they both are very happy to see the sin of the other. The sin of the person in the gutter who can't get their life together. The sin of the man in the boardroom who's so greedy and arrogant. They all see it. We exalt ourselves. It's a sham. It's a delusion. We are hopelessly blind. Considering ourselves to be righteous and others to be so much worse. And I think this is so prominent today with our increasingly, it's increasing sense that we live in an outrage culture. <gasps> So-and-so said this. Someone, did you know that Meghan Markle held her baby like this? I would never do that. What mother would ever hold a baby like that? And it's not just Meghan Markle. She didn't sit right at the tennis. You could pick on her. She's such a wicked woman, unlike me. Outrage about everything, which is just because we're full of our own sense of righteousness and everybody else is doing it wrong. God's standard, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
And he is God's righteousness revealed as we sang earlier. But he's going to the Father, so now the spirit of truth comes to convict the world regarding righteousness. And no one else comes because we're all lost in self-righteousness. And the scary thing is he's going to do that, the spirit, through the branches of the vine, which is you and me and Jesus. No wonder we get opposition when we're convicting the world about righteousness. No wonder people will hate us. Because we want to see righteousness revealed. Spirit brings conviction regarding righteousness and finally about judgment. Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You've got two options in the last days. You can stand, stay on the present age or you can join the new age. You stay in the present age. Well, the prince of this world has been condemned already. The king of that age is gone. And you will share in the judgment. Join the new age. Well, God doesn't sweep judgment under the carpet. Our sin matters, but he places it on Jesus at the cross. And we can be transferred to that new age in Jesus. Stay on your own, you'll be like the branch cut off from the vine. Trust in Jesus, you'll be united to the vine and you'll be filled with the Spirit for eternity. D-Day happened in World War II and so we entered the last days of the Second World War. The Germans were essentially defeated. Many of them knew it, many of the generals knew it. They said, let's do anything. Let's try and execute Hitler. Hitler didn't want to know a bar of it, so they kept fighting and men and women kept dying. Satan's down. The world in rebellion against God is under judgment and we're waiting for the last day of these last days. Do you think that's an easy thing? I don't know if you talked about judgment on that weekend. My guess is not that week because it's just too hard. Who wants to be told about judgment? Who is going to convict the world about judgment? The Spirit testifies, not you, not I, that now is the time to repent and be saved from this corrupt generation. And the comfort is that Jesus says to the branches, apart from me you can do nothing. And apart from the Spirit, which today is apart from God's Spirit, that's where the power is. We had our senior fellowship on Thursday, and Vlad and Anna Costorni came to share about their work with European Christian ministry, and I asked them to share their testimony. Anna, they both grew up in uh, the Soviet Union. Anna's um, had a grandma who was somewhat of a believer, nominally orthodox family, but very, very nominal. Um, her sister married a Muslim and converted to Islam, and she was interested. She was trying to get Anna to convert. Anna, about 16-year-old girl, she got really, really sick. Really sick. And somehow the Spirit prompted her to pray in Jesus' name for healing. 
And she did, and she was miraculously healed. And has followed Jesus ever since, joining his church. Vlad, Vlad was quite different. Vlad grew up hoping to be a KGB officer, because that was where the prestige and power was. Uh, he met an Orthodox priest when he was in his teens who challenged him about eternity. Where are you going to spend eternity? Challenged him about where did the world come from? And it just disturbed him a bit, but you carry on. And then when he was at uni, one of his friends became a Christian and gave him a New Testament. Vlad started reading the New Testament, as you always do recommend, start at the book of Revelation, the very last book. <laughs> and here, Vlad says, Revelation is really complicated, complicated, but not if you read it for the first time. It's actually pretty clear. You're either with Jesus, the Lamb who saves, or you're going to burn. You're facing judgment. And Vlad was stirred to the heart. He was convicted regarding judgment and righteousness and sin and turned his life over to Jesus. Only the Spirit does that. Only the Spirit does what the Spirit did for Anna. We don't. To make born-again believers leads me to my third important work of the Spirit, which is revelation. Revelation. The Spirit's role is to reveal the truth of Jesus and his Father to the disciples and so bring glory to Jesus. I have much more to say to you, says Jesus in verse 12, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. This promise is to those disciples in that upper room. They became the early apostles and formed the foundation of New Testament teaching. So we read in Acts chapter 2 that the apostles... Let me read to you from 2 Peter chapter 1. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things... Rather, prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through hum though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I think what we're seeing in John chapter 16 is Jesus' promise to the disciples that he will work in them a work of revelation to reveal his purposes. And so we read in Acts that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching that was the bedrock and through their teaching we have the New Testament scriptures inspired by God by the Holy Spirit that's the Spirit's work and so Jesus continues the Spirit will glorify me because it it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you disciples all that belongs to the Father is mine that is why I said to the Spirit will receive from me and will make it known to you Consequence, divine in the last days are going to be people of the word of God. We're going to believe it. And you see consistently in the Bible, spirit and word together. The spirit works through God's word. Now he can use dreams and circumstances. He can do what he did for Anna Costoni. But most often he does what he did with Vlad. 
The word is read, the word is understood, and the spirit works a work in the heart. So if we want to be people who are led by God's spirit, we need to be people of the word. We need to be people of the Bible. And that's why in this church we have Bible study groups and we speak from the Bible and we encourage people to be regular in Bible reading in their daily devotional life. Because we need to fill ourselves with God's word, hide it in our hearts so that we're transformed by it. Because there is the Spirit's power. As the vine is soaked in the word, as we trust in Jesus, there we bear testimony by the power of the Spirit. So Christians like us. It's more than an SBS show. Christians like us is people in the vine, abiding in Jesus by the Spirit of God who is given to us. People who soak themselves in the Word of God so that the Spirit can reveal more of God's nature, not only as we find in our brains, but most importantly through our deeds, through our character. Assumpta has given us a challenge about being the vine in a hostile world. Staying faithful. And it's not, you know, I made a bit of fun of Assumpta. She was there by God's sovereign purposes. Her wit, her winsome nature, her clever brain, her good looks, however she tried to be accommodating, won her not one iota of good out of that thing. Only as she was faithful to Jesus and as the Spirit works through her testimony and her word and deed. There's the power. And Christians like us on a show is Christians like you at work. You don't trust in your cleverness. You don't trust in your good looks. You don't trust in your charisma. You don't feel defeated because you said, I've got no good looks. I've got no charisma. I don't know the answer. You just abide in Jesus in word and deed. and Fill yourself with his word. And as you have opportunity by the power of the Spirit, bear witness. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Let's pray. Father, help us to abide in Jesus. Fill us with your spirit that we may bear witness in the power of the spirit to a needy world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.